to be here. Turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. While I was down in Florida and um, the month, whole month of January, preached in all the West Coast over there. In when you get to Naples, down by the Everglades on the west side, the Gulf of Mexico. And you come up, and there's Fort Myers, and Punta Gorda, and Inglewood, and Port Charlotte, and all of that. That area is where all the snowbirds go for retirement. <laughs> uh, there's a church there that has 100 nursing home services every month. They have 50 facilities that they go to every two weeks. And that whole area, I said to the pastor, I says, have you noticed you've got 300 people here and every one of them, it looks like Q-tips out in your audience that's either bald heads or white hair, bald head, white hair. Aren't you concerned about the future? He says, oh no. He says, we've got a feeder system. He says, the snowbirds keep moving down here. And uh, he says, I end up doing about a funeral a week. He says, we call this whole region God's waiting room. Well, <laughs> I guess, but, wow, thank you for the good music here. I was there in Florida, and there's these three women driving, and of course, they're all elderly, and boy, they went right through a stoplight, and the lady in the back said, hey, hey, you just ran a light, we're going to get hurt here, and boy, no more than said it, and they went right through another light, 50 miles an hour. And she says, hey, did, did you see that? We just went through another red light. And right through another one. And she says, Margaret, Margaret, you've got to tell Esther she's running red lights. And so she, Margaret says, Esther, Esther, do you know you just ran three red lights? And Esther says, am I the one driving? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're in Florida. That's uh, that's for sure. The gated community had a new guy sitting on the park bench, and this woman, widow lady, very lonely, sidles up to him, and she says, "Say, hey, you're new around here, aren't you?" And he says, "Well, not really. I'm from this area, but I was gone 30 years. I." I just got out of prison Saturday. And she says, prison? 30 years? What do you do to get a sentence like that? And he said, well, I, I killed my wife, and then I butchered her body. She's quiet, and she says, so you're saying you're single? <laughs> That's pretty desperate. I don't that actually might not be a true story, either one of them. But it's funny, the old people tell stories on themselves. It is really kind of fun to be down there. First um, Thessalonians 2, and uh, we've got to get right to our text. The first few verses of First Thessalonians 2. The Bible's the message we preach, and most important part of coming to church is the preaching, the reading, and the obeying, and the application of the Word of God. 
I love the good music. I love all of that. But the centerpiece of what we do, if you go down through history and you look at the other denominations, they would have in the Catholic Church and all the stepchildren that came from the Catholic Church, they have the pulpit off to the side and they have the Catholic altar up in front with the gold and the communion ware and all of that. And they make the Mass the centerpiece of worship. Baptist churches put the pulpit front and center and say, hey, the centerpiece of what we do, our worship, we meet with God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, and we take a premium on the preaching of the Word of God. But churches have a personality, and God calls different men. All God has to work with is us humanoids, right? I mean, uh, every, every man of God who's pastor feels a little bit inadequate and unworthy to stand in the pulpit because, wow, it's just just a bunch of sinners. Who am I to tell anybody anything, you know? But this is all God has to work with for right now. And so he chooses to use men, and they're uh, certainly all different. You know, in Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas preached, and the people came and fell down to worship him and said, hey, you're Jupiter, you're Mercurius, and they fell down and worshipped him, and they ripped their clothes off. It says they rent their clothes, and they ran in among them and said, look, we're just men like you are. You know, don't don't worship us. We're we're just human. And every pastor, good pastors, have that sense. But churches, I travel now. This is my eighth year traveling. And while churches tend to take on a personality, and it's usually a reflection of the pastor, and I'm saying uh, if there's a real joyous and bright and happy spirit, it's usually an effervescent bubble on the wave pastor if it's real sober as a judge and real serious it's usually a reflection of the pastor and if it's uh, careless with the things of God it's usually a reflection of the pastor um, they always say the, how clean the church building is is a reflection on the pastor's wife they're usually the one most conscious of how the things appear neat and orderly and the decorations fresh and I was in a church in March last year that had the Christmas decorations still up. Hey, listen, that's a reflection on the pastor's wife. People look at it and say, wow, they're not uh, socially well-adjusted, but uh, (laughs) I couldn't think of a nicer way to say it. Some preachers are just cantankerous, some are crass, some are always looking for a new devil to fight. Bless God, we're going to fight the gays and we're going to fight the, we're going to fight City Hall and we're going to fight. And the only way they can rally people is to find a new devil to fight. And uh, it, it just is what it is. But today I want to emphasize, and I'm preaching today, great plainness of speech. Great plainness of speech. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. We're going to look here and in Corinthians. 
So have your Bible available. We're going to look at several passages. But if there's somebody who was educated, it was the Apostle Paul. Most of the time, those that were part of the Jewish Sanhedrin had to have memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. They had to have known the law, all 600 pages of the written law beside the books of Moses. They had to have essentially what we would call a seminary education and be very literate. So you can imagine, you get this very educated Jewish guy who oversees the stoning of Stephen, Holy Spirit, convicts him. He gets saved on the road to Damascus and out of the church at Antioch. He goes out and starts churches. He has the sheepskin. He has the qualifications. He has the education. But I want you to notice when he's writing now to the church at Thessalonica, and, and maybe, let me say this in preliminary. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible talks about Paul, you know, come over into uh, Macedonia and help us. He preaches up in northern Greece, Philippi, Berea, then Thessalonica. It says here in Acts 17, you don't have to turn there, but listen carefully. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, those are northern Greece, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, just think of this. He was educated and trained in that sphere. And when he went to a new town, he went straight to the Jewish synagogue and disputes with them about the things concerning the law particularly that the Lord Jesus Christ was the fulfillment. He was the Lamb of God that didn't just cover sin, but took away the sin of the world. But I'm saying the ferocious fearlessness for him to go right into that labyrinth among all the Jewish rabbis, go right to the synagogue and dispute with the theologues, and notice what it says here. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. It is the fulfillment of the prophecies. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief priests, not a few, of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." Pastor Nelson that led me to Christ, he said, listen, the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he had to either pucker or duck. They either got saved and got right and got happy, or they got angry and violent. Hey, some love it, and some don't. He was eminently qualified 
to preach to them about the law. But as a Christian, he was qualified to say all of the law was just the harbinger that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He alleged Christ as a fulfillment, all of the pictures, all of the types, the wave offering, the heave offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the turtle doves, everything that was used, all typology, all sacrifices, all Old Testament worship, all of the altar incense and the brazen altar and the golden altar, everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And I'm saying today, one of the things, no matter how educated, no matter how intellectual, no matter how morally superior you think you are, the gospel message has to be made plain and simple and straightforward. A Mist in the pulpit leaves a fog in the pew. And so the Bible, we're going to see the verse in Corinthians. He said, I use great plainness of speech. There's no mystery what he's thinking. There's no mystery what he's trying to get at. Nobody confused about the point he's making. And so we come now. At Thessalonica, some consorted with him, some got mad at him. And so here as we get to his letter to the Thessalonians, look with me, if you will, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now watch verse 3 and following. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, watch, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to learn. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be Christians, a church, believers, a ministry that uses great plainness of speech. May we have the purest of motives, the courage and boldness. And Lord, may we remember that there is a certain reproach to preaching the truth. May we have the courage to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This business, he said, look, we weren't seeking 
credit from men, glory of men. We weren't seeking to please men. We weren't seeking for praise. We didn't have guile or a cloak of maliciousness. You know what that means? Hey, it's not a matter of condemning somebody. It's not malice of heart. He references his heart and his motive three times. Hey, we weren't doing this to get credit. We weren't doing this to get praise. We weren't doing it to exalt ourselves. We weren't doing it to be mean to you. Right? We're not trying to have, just trying to get money out of you. Preachers preach differently if they're just after money. My wife kept track. I pastored for 25 years, and she said, Well, Randy, you must be some kind of expert at this. You have successfully preached all six millionaires out of our church. I've never been impressed with the upper crust. It's just a bunch of crumbs held together by a lot of dough. I'm not good at groveling at the feet of money. I need money like everybody does, but oh my goodness. Rich people are used to getting their way. I, I, made, a, I made a horrible mistake. We had a gay pride tavern started in Oshkosh. And one of our men came to me and they said, Hey, Pastor King, uh, uh, listen, we don't, we don't want to have a gay bar in our town. I don't like this rainbow stuff. Uh, why, why don't we, could, uh, with your permission, Pastor King, we'd like to go on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, the first Saturday of every month, and just the men of the church, no children, no women, the bar's not open on Saturday morning, but we'll just stand across the street, not on their property, but we'll just gather a small band of men and let's pray that the bar close. I said, hey, that's a great idea. Pastor, would you announce that from the pulpit? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I stand in the pulpit. I say, hey, look, here's the plan. We're going to pray the first Saturday of every month. After church, up comes a family. Pastor King, we're quitting the church today. We have a grandson who's gay. He might visit church with us sometime, and we don't want to have this hostile environment toward gay people. We don't want to have a climate of condemnation, and you're just one of those that's all about social issues, and why don't you just preach the Bible, and how come? And off they go. I'm not even clever enough to chase people away that way. But I'm saying it's a new day to preach and pastor and stand for the truth. There are challenges that we have never, ever faced. We had, look with me, 1 Corinthians 2. I can tell you stories all day long. Um, 1 Corinthians 2. Please turn there. We're going to look at First and Second Corinthians. Passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Several times Paul makes mention of what kind of speech he used. And you can be the most gracious, the most patient, the most professional, the most polished, 
But boy, if someone's determined to get offended, they're going to get offended. If they're thin skin, half the reason I tell jokes is because a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Uh, at least when I slap them, I want them smiling. And, and uh, <laughs> right? I just, oh, man. 1 Corinthians 2, would you slip down to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians? And look at how he says this again in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There's something about a pastor who says, it's not my personality, it's not my persuasiveness, it's not because I'm handsome, it's not because I'm smarter. I am declaring the Lord Jesus Christ. I hide behind that. That's what I'm doing, that's what I'm about, that's what my purpose is, that's what we're here for. We're trying to get people from wherever they are to wherever they ought to be in standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. Wow, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's the title of the message, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. It's a tool. Speaking words are a tool. It's just what we use. We use parables, similes, like and as. We use illustrations. We use stories. We use any avenue we can to communicate the truth. But we want no mistake about it. Here's what we're getting at. We don't want somebody to go out and say, oh, that was wonderful. I think of the, the old Indian at the reservation, and they, they had a, a big election going on, and there was politicians all over stumping for votes, and they had this rally, and the guy brought this old Indian chief, and he heard this guy speaking up there and making promises as politicians do and all of that. And afterwards they asked the chief, what did you think of that? And he said, oh, he says, many people. He says, much thunder, much lightning, no rain. <laughs> right, right. We're not just going for the thunder and lightning. We want results. We want the Holy Spirit of God to speak to his people, move in his people, and we want them to obey the Bible. Just being odd with the messenger is not what we're doing. It never has been about the messenger. He says we use great plainness of speech. We don't want any mystery about what we're trying to do here. Look with me Will another verse. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10. 
and verse number 10. The Apostle Paul goes to Corinth. He wins souls. He disciples them. He spends months and months teaching them. And then, wow, just like men are prone to do, the Apostle Paul, when he comes back later, there are people there that say, who's the Apostle Paul? Why should we listen to him? And they question his apostleship. They question his authority. They question his motives. And wow, you say, wow, these guys got to be spiritual tigers. But notice, here's what it says in chapter 10, verse 10. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. There's a wagon load of pride right there. Hey, you might have a better education than a pastor. You might know five, four and five syllable words. I know what the hypostatic union is. But we're not trying to awe people with a big vocabulary. Can you imagine the most educated man in the realm, the most sophisticated scholar they'll ever see? And they have the brass to say, well, you know, his speech is contemptible. Yeah, People don't like it when you start hoeing the corn real close to the row. Hey, they'd rather discredit the messenger than let the Holy Spirit of God convict their heart and change their lives. Tell it like it is, preacher. Tell it like it is until you tell it like it is. And they go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're meddling now. They always say in a Baptist church, you know what amen means? It means you missed me with that one, preacher. Pass it to the guy behind me. (laughs) His speech is contemptible. 2 Corinthians 11, just slip over a page, verse 6. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Think of what it says. He says, we used plainness of speech. They say, well, his speech is contentable. Though I be rude in speech. You know what he's saying? Hey, you can call me a simpleton all you want. Here's what we're trying to get. Here's what we're getting at. Here's the results we're trying to accomplish. So back in 1 Thessalonians 2, where we read our our text, our exhortation, verse 3, was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. There's no attempt to manipulate or control. I had a woman come to our church, and boy, she was there the third Sunday. And on the way out, she's shaking hands at the door, and she says, I know people like you. You're a control freak. You're just trying to run my life. I said, I don't know you, and I don't even like you. I, I don't care what you do in your life. Are you kidding me? You think that's all I have to do is try to run you? I find out later. She had a dad who was a control freak. She went to a college where they were real controlling. They went in the ministry where the pastor there was 
micromanaging everything, had his hands on top of theirs on the steering wheel. Nobody likes to be managed like that. And so then when a man of God stands on his hind legs and says, thus saith the Lord, her response is, you're trying to run me. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Paul says, it wasn't in guile. It wasn't in deceit. We don't have ulterior motives. We're not trying to get something out of you. Are you kidding me? I don't even like you. I say that. You know what I'm saying. My goodness. Don't, don't project that presumption on somebody who honestly loves you enough to tell you the truth. He says, we, we weren't having some ulterior motive. There's no one trying to take advantage of you. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, Not as pleasing men, but God. Not of uncleanness. There's no attempt. I, I hate it. I'm going to just say this. If you quote me, I'll deny it. I'm going to shut the microphone off. But there's a lot of TV evangelists and some Pentecostal faith healers and all that garbage that goes on that tries to get people subjected to them, coming to them, groveling, giving them money, promising them things that God never intended. That is controlling. That is manipulative. That is pleasing men. And pastors have a responsibility. I'm here to please God. I can't trim the message just because who's sitting in front of me. I had a a good friend of mine, Paul Heaton, wrote a book. And the book was on social issues that Christians have to deal with. And it was tattoos, rock music, and um, uh, what do they call it? When they don't bury people, they just uh, burn them. Cremation. Well, he writes three or four chapters, one on each of these. And, hey, it got to cremation. And he said, look, you know, while we don't have a definitive command, we have the example of Joseph gave commandments concerning his bones, and the Lord Jesus was buried, and we bury people at the cemetery and say, in sure hope of the resurrection from the dead, and, and how the pagans burned bodies, and the heathen burned bodies, and all the different other religions burned bodies, but... And so he just was trying to portray, uh, here's something. For, for, for centuries, if you were going to get cremated, Baptist pastors would not do your funeral. Now, I don't know if they had Bible proof for that. But to them, it was a chance to preach the gospel. Go to the cemetery, lay someone in the grave, and talk to them about, hey, when they bury them, all cemeteries in America are oriented so that the head of the person is to the west, so when they stand, Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem, and they're going to face their maker. And so they resurrect to see the Lord. And he just writes this book, and it says, it's just an opinion. I don't <clears throat> know that I do cremation, uh, funerals for guys have been cremated, but I just want the Christians to think about it, right? So he asked me to proofread the book. I proofread the book, 
Pastor King, would you write a forward? Sure, I write a forward. Hey, he sent me 48 of the books for free. I'll write two forwards. Right? I make the bad, 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 bad mistake of holding up the book in the pulpit on a Wednesday night and saying, hey, there's a box full of books out in the lobby and it addresses three social issues that Christians should ponder, tattoos and rock contemporary music and cremation. And boy, if it can be a help to you, you always had questions about it. The books were given to me for free. You can have one for free. Ah! Ah! How dare you? Up gets this woman in a huff, leads her husband out by the nose, which she was wont to do, and, hey, I had two husbands before this one. One was died of cancer, one was killed in a car wreck. I had them both cremated, and I'm not going to any church where the pastor is condemning me. Like I'm supposed to be a mind reader, or I'm trying to insult, or hurt, or it's my big motive to alienate and chase away, or whatever. Listen, there wasn't one shred of unkindness said in the book or about the book. But, whoa, don't you dare offend Mama because we're going to be, oh, that door is ours. Now hear me, I'm saying, we're in a day and age and in a culture today that if you really tell it like it is, you better be prepared to pucker or duck the ones that believe it are rejoicing that somebody still has the courage and the ones that don't are out the door. They vote with their feet. They vote with their pocketbook. They say, no, I'm not going to endorse that. I'd rather go to a church that stands for nothing and says nothing and tells us good God, good devil, good heaven, good everything. Oh, that puts pressure I'm pastoring. A lady comes. We had 500 people in the service. I mentioned, I made the bad mistake. Uh, I said, you know, just because you're Roman Catholic doesn't mean you're saved. You could be a Methodist your whole life and die and go to hell. You could be baptized in 10 Baptist churches and die and go to hell. You can be a Jehovah Witness or a follower of Armstrong or a Mormon, but if you're trusting anything but Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. This visitor woman sitting there, I find out she's wealthy. I'm, I'm so good at chasing them away. And she's shaking hands at the door, coming by. And she takes my hand. You know, some people shake your hand and then they put their other hand on the handshake. And she looks me in the eye and she says, do you realize, do you realize what you've got going here? You've got beautiful facilities, friendly people. You've got just the most beautiful music. The fellowship is sweet here. The only problem here is you. She said, if it wasn't for you, 
you realize this church could be triple this size. The guy I watch on television, he's got an in-ground pool. He drives a Rolls Royce. If you'd learn to trim the message and just leave some of that stuff out, you could have something going here. It's you that's the problem. Now, hear me. I don't like in-ground pools. But there are many, many pastors that feel that pressure. They won't admit it to you. But they know. I don't have to preach heresy. I can just leave some stuff lay and everybody will be happier. But when Paul said, I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. When a man of God, when a pastor stands up and so there's no mystery about it, he uses great Plainness of speech. Some are going to say, that's contemptible. Some are going to say, that's rude. Some are going to say, that's crass. Some are going to say, he's got a bad motive. Hear me carefully and I'll read Isaiah 30. You don't have time. Tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. But when Israel was in bondage and God raised up a prophet Isaiah, and he's there telling them, you got spanked and you had it coming. That's, that's not how you win friends and influence people. In Isaiah 30, verse 6, Go now, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not. And to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy delicate things. Get you out of the way. Prophesy deceits. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise the word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall. Swelling out of a high wall whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. He says, that's how you get the judgment of God Almighty. Thank God for a pastor, a leather-lunged pastor will stand up and say, that's wrong. Quit doing that. Well, who are you to tell me? Uh, it's, it's not me, but it is the word of God. It is the word of God. I can do no other. I'm going to answer to him someday. Couldn't care less what you think about it. Shall I be in fear of mortals who are just walking on the con above the confines of the grave? You're going to die in the dirt and you're going to answer God just like me. Couldn't care less whether or not you like me. I'm going to answer to God for what I say. I first fear him and I have to. Wouldn't give you a dime for a pastor that didn't have that attitude. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, the house of Jacob their sins. Plain preaching generally leads people to get humble or get angry. Right? When you tell people that God's going to keep the books and hold them accountable, sometimes they get angry, sometimes they get humble and get right. 
when you tell people that if they're not tithing, they're robbing God. The tithe is the Lord's. When you tell people, your friends and relatives, your forefathers, your sweet mother, if she trusted anything but the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation, died and went to hell. Your uncle was wrong, your grandpa was wrong, your sweet aunt, I don't care. I don't care if she went to Mass every single Sunday and made 40 trips around the rosary beads every week. If she trusted anything but the shed blood of Jesus Christ, she's in hell today. I'm not glad about that. But until people get it down deep in their craw, the people that have a false hope, the people that are trusting the wrong thing, the people that are grasping to their religion, their baptism, their works, are going to go slap to hell. Until they get that down deep in their craw, nobody tries to win their lost relatives. Nobody witnesses to them. Nobody prays for them. Nobody earnestly pleads at an altar for them until they get deep down. Wow, the same door I got in, they have to get in. It's through Christ and Christ alone. They might be sweet, but salvation is of the Lord. You tell people, hey, husbands, don't just claim the title of the head of the home. Be an example of the believers in the way you raise your kids and treat your wife. Well, brother, uh, I just take them by the hair and drag them back to the cave. I, I keep them barefoot and pregnant. If I ever want advice, I'll get it from somebody else. I don't need her to talk to me. Hey, hey. Do the female side of the race a favor and stay single. You tell a woman, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to love your children, love your husband, and submit to your own husband in the Lord. Well, and I know, I know, I know, I'm by Seneca Falls, I know. <laughs> well, you wouldn't say that right here in this climate, would you? Hey, hey, great plainness of speech, thus saith the Lord. I don't have a different motive. I'm not trying to win favor, nor of men sought we glory. Listen, listen. It seems like there are some people who just love to preach, so you're awed that they have the courage to say it. But that's not it. Good pastors are trying to help you. They, they realize you, they're shepherding a flock. He, I want to present you faultless. I've, I've espoused you to Christ as a chaste virgin. I want you to stand in his stead and be glad for everything you did on this earth. There's nobody, nobody, nobody going to come to me in heaven and say, Well, Brother King, I tell you, I did way too much for God. I regret what I gave I regret the time I spent. I regret my prayers. I regret the people I witnessed to. I, I'll tell you, I should have done way less for God. If you, wouldn't have, if you wouldn't have harangued me all that much, 
Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say that. You got a flesh that says do less for God. You got a world that says do less for God. You got a devil that says do less for God. And you got one guy, Pastor Dunbar, stands up and says, you know, we got to do more for God. He's right, and the world and the flesh and the devil are wrong. See, great plainness of speech. Tell it like it is, preacher. Tell it like it is. Unless it crosses what I don't like. Hear me, hear me. When you have a pastor who says, not of deceit, not of uncleanness, not in guile. I'm trying to get you to do something for God. You ought to listen to that preacher. You ought to do what he tells you. When the preaching's from the Bible, when he's challenging you to do more, grow in grace, present you faultless, be ye perfect, be ye holy. Hear me? Hear me? That kind of preaching has fallen on hard times in our generation. Great plainness of speech. Paul said, I use it. I use it. There is a way to talk to people with love and certainty and conviction and principle without compromise but it's got to come from a heart that's overwhelmed with love for the sheep he's shepherding. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. We don't have to preach around the hard issues. We can address them straight on. You're here today, and I don't know. I mean, be wonderful if you've never been saved, if today would be the day that you see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and you repent of your sins and call on the Lord to save you. If you've never been saved, well, that's your most important need. For those that are baby Christians, wow, this would be a great opportunity this week of meetings for you to say, hey, Lord, could you help me in another area of my life? Lord, polish this side of the diamond. I already got this right and this right, but maybe I need some cleaning up over here. In my companions, in my activities, in my priorities. Lord, I give you permission to plow my garden any direction you please. Maybe that would mean in an area of full-time Christian service. Maybe that would be a calling to ministry. Maybe that would be a place of service here in this church. We're trying to get you from wherever you are to where you ought to be in good standing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you take it from somebody who loves you, who just uses great plainness of speech to try to get it done? You're here today and you say, Pastor King, there are things in my life that I know God's not pleased with. And I need to deal with some things and I'm asking God to help me this week in those areas of my life that I haven't 
totally consecrated to Christ, pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up? I've got areas that I need to deal with, and I'm asking God to direct my heart. One hand, two hands, three hands. Wow, a dozen. Are there more? Lord, help me in my Christian walk. You're here today and say, Pastor King, I'm not sure I'm truly saved. I need to be. Maybe I could get that settled today. If you're like that, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not saved yet. I need to be. Help me to get that settled before it's too late. Is there one? Heavenly Father, thank you now for your word. Lord, help us to be Christian in all that that means. Christian in conviction. Christian in commitment, but Christian in motive, Christian in attitude, Christian in certainty. Lord, I pray you'd help us to use great plainness of speech. Help us to have the purest of motives. And then, Lord, may you do the Holy Spirit office work in each heart that only you can do. Perfect these, your children, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.